Well, we're working our way through 1 Peter, and I hope you've spent some time there this week. Uh, I've tried to send you my notes on Tuesday. If you're connected to the members' WhatsApp group, you should have gotten those, and I hope you're able to use them in your small groups or family worship or even your own individual study. And I've put this under the banner of elect exiles. Today's message is from 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, five verses in 1 Peter 2, under the title, Submission is the Mission. Submission is the mission. Freedom to serve. And I'd like to start by asking you a question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean in Sao Paulo in 2021 to be a follower of Jesus? We asked each other, beginning of the service, are you a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't use the four spiritual laws. He didn't have tracts. He didn't have people raise their hands and come forward in his meetings. The main thing he said was, follow me. Follow me. You could say that discipleship begins from the moment you meet someone and you call them like Jesus. Follow me. Come with me as we follow Christ together. Yes, there needs to be a moment of repentance, of conversion, of turning over your life to the Lordship of Christ, but the call is to follow him. What does that mean? I think one of the main things it means is submission. Paul says in Philippians 2 that our attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who didn't stay on his throne in heaven, but humbled himself taking the form of a servant and being obedient unto death, to death on a cross, obedient until he died. And then he calls us, those who want to follow him, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and walk in the same path. This is not a popular message, but it carries in it the antidote for anxiety and depression, and stress, marital strife, civil unrest, even wars could be stopped by the message of submission in Christ. If the Holy Spirit enlivens these precious living thoughts and words, not just to your mind, but to your heart, so that they change your fundamental beliefs and behaviors, your life will be different from today onward. Let's look at what it says. Hope you have your Bible open. You'll read it off of the screen as well. Let's read 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. This is very related with the Romans 13 passage that we read earlier, obviously from a different author. Peter and Paul were contemporaries. They both write similar messages. Be subject, in IV says, therefore submit. By the way, the word therefore is not there. That's, not, that's why we're not going to talk about what it's there for. Uh, so he just starts with be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor 
the emperor. Now we need to go back a little bit and see what the context is. Last week we talked about being a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. And verses 11 and 12 that just precede this passage that we're looking at this morning say, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's very similar to what it says in verse 15 that we just read, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let's go through this phrase by phrase. Be subject. The word of God is commanding us this morning to submit our will, first to the will of God, but then to the will of every human institution. So this uh, word in Greek is two, two parts put together, which are hypo and tasso, sub and arrange, under and organize. Organize your life under the authorities that have been put over you. And Peter starts with the emperor. Every human institution, government, ordinance, or authority is established by God. That's what Romans 13 told us a few minutes ago. God gives his authority to certain people. There is no authority except the authority of God on his throne. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he lends it to each one of us in a different measure for his purpose to be accomplished. And so the phrase for the Lord's sake is the key to understand how and why we submit. It's for the Lord's sake. It's not because the president or the governor or the policeman deserves it. It's not because you want to or don't want to or you gain something from it. It's because God has commanded us to do it and for Jesus' sake we commit to being subject to authority that has been set over us for the Lord's sake. One eye on Jesus, one eye on people. By the way, that means taking your eyes off yourself. All authority belongs to God. And for his sake, we submit to him under the authority that has been put over us in this life. What emperor is this that Peter's talking about? Whether to the emperor, Peter was under a Roman emperor, an occupier, an unjust, violent army that had taken over his homeland and to which most Jews were pushing back and trying to be free and hoping that the very Messiah that Peter is preaching about will deliver them from this oppression. And yet both Peter and Paul, who end up being martyred by the Roman government, command us to submit to authority. That should convict all of us. It should take away any excuse for you to say, well, I didn't vote for that guy. Right? Because it's God who puts authority on the throne. It's God who gave you your parents, teenagers. It's God who gave you your boss, your teachers. He is sovereign over the details of men and women. And by submitting, we preach our belief to that. Every 
emperor or the governors that he sends. Any authority is sent by God for God's purposes. We tend to be practical deists. We believe in God, but we believe he's off there on the throne somewhere, and he's actually sort of wound this thing up and let it run, and that elections are really run by powerful human people and money and media, and oh no, what's going to happen? My friend, God is in control. And if you haven't yet settled that in your mind, it's time to take down your little control flag and say, Lord, I'm going to just trust you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. You are in charge. That's why I say this message is for those who are anxious, those who are depressed, those who are striving and arguing with each other to try to get somewhere because they think they're in control and they haven't yet realized Jesus has got this. The election is in God's hand. Do your part. But trust the Lord and rejoice and be at peace because he is sovereign. Then Peter gives us a hint as to why God gives authority to certain people. He says to punish, that's a scary word, isn't it? Not used very much. You know why? Because the modern liberal agenda believes in the dialectic. That we are evolutionary process going toward utopia and that conflict is good because it always makes things better. They don't believe in sin. Right? We do. And God has given authority to certain people to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God lends authority to rulers, both large and small, to punish and praise. There is evil bound up in the heart of your children that needs to be punished. Children are born lost in themselves. Believe me, I have six of them. (laughs) Nobody taught them how to fight with each other. Nobody taught them how to be selfish and proud and lazy. And the Bible says sin is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction drives it from them. It even goes so far in Proverbs as to say, hold back that rod of punishment and you will condemn your child to hell because sin is pulling them down. Your authority, parents, is for the purpose of the sanctification of your children. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how that happened in my life. Just take a break. Here's a little parentheses. Uh, Maybe you're hoping to have children someday. I hope this is a little bit of training. The most important role in society, the most important authority in the world has no training, right? Parents don't get much training. Here's a little bit. My mom and dad had a board hanging on the kitchen wall. It was about this long. It was about that wide. And it said right on it, the board of education. (laughs) On the backside, there were some lines to be signed by all of those who, on whom the Board of Education had been administered. My dad would say, God gave children a bottom for two reasons, to sit on and to be spanked. Now, I have to explain the word spank, because in Portuguese, espancar is totally different. That's one of our problems in Brazil, is we don't have a good word for spank. Spank means a careful, communicated, 
moment of correction using a rod. My dad used to have me pick a branch. If we were out of the house, he'd say, all right, you choose your branch. And I'd think, do I want a thick one or a thin one? The last time I got a spanking, I was 16 years old and I was an inch taller than my dad. And I mouthed off to my mom. And mom and dad had a, a, an arrangement that they would not defend themselves to show their children the spirit of Christ in them. But they would certainly defend each other. And my dad was really good at defending my mom. And he said, come in here. And took me to a back room. That's the first step. Get out of public. Don't do this in public. Do it in private to show your child you love them. And he sat down with me, this big strapping 16-year-old that thought he knew what was going on. And he said, what you just said to your mother was out of line. Do you have anything to say for yourself? You'd always give me a chance to defend myself. That's step number two. It's not done in anger. It's not done in impatience. It's not done with brutish strength and manipulation. It was done carefully and quietly and lovingly. Him looking at my eyes and letting me know that he loved me and that's why he was going to drive this rebellious spirit out of his teenager. Third, the third jika, the third hint. He would tell me what to do. He said, now I want you to put your stomach right there on the sofa. We were at my grandmother's house. I can still picture the sofa. That meant turn over, stick out your backside. I'm going to give you some swats. I don't remember what he used. I know I didn't cry. I was 16 years old. But I let my dad give me a spanking. That was the last time. And I will tell you that one of the reasons that I'm here before you and not in a hole somewhere is because my dad believed that careful punishment of evil in my heart would save me from sin in Christ's grace. You have been given authority for the purpose of calling out evil in the world, in the people that are under you, not always with a spanking. I'm not saying that's how your family has to be. I will tell you this. It does not have to produce violence like the world says. It did not make me a violent person. It has not made my children violent people, and I've done the same thing with them. It's the way the Bible set up for sin, which is killing us, to be driven out of us with careful, loving, spiritual discernment, but decisive action against evil and against the devil. The purpose of authority is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, it's sure easy to see, easier to see what's wrong with your kids than to see what's right, right? And I want to say that this submission does not negate protest does not negate lawful movements of manifestation against injustice. So I, as the oldest of six children in my family, gathered my children, my children, my brothers and sister, my parents' children together and said, you know, we need to talk to mom and dad about affirmation because they see a lot of things wrong and we're getting some spankings, but we're not getting much reward for all that we're doing right. And we actually had a family meeting. And so we, we came up with this uh, hearts and checks system, right? So you get this, you get good points and you get bad points. And then we'd sit down on Saturday and look at the balance and get some rewards. So there was a, this whole affirmation thing going on. Mike Epp, you remember Mike Epp, the director of PACA, taught us that uh, an affirmation sandwich makes criticism easier to swallow. If you tell someone what they're doing good, 
then give them some correction, and then right on the heels of it, tell them something else they're doing good. It's awful easy to swallow that criticism, right? Helps them swallow it. What a wise thing for an authority to do. Correct, but correct with gentleness, correct with love, correct with affirmation. Tell people what they're doing well, because part of your job is to praise those who do good. Verse 15, this is the will of God. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't it nice that that's written in the Bible? This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I believe that, by, that the words doing good here point back to the word submit. Subjecting yourself under authority for the sake of Christ is the doing good that then advances God's purpose of light in the world. When an older sibling obeys her mother, younger brothers and sisters take note and stop complaining. When a wife does not submit to her husband or a husband does not listen to his wife, children rebel and begin to fight and complain. Followers of Jesus obey traffic laws, pay their taxes, and honor the king even when they don't agree with the king for the sake of Christ. We silence ignorance, not by yelling or arguing, but by doing good in the name of Christ for his sake. Verse 16, live, Peter says, as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. See, I think freedom is the lack of limits. Do whatever you want. That's freedom, right? I used to think that. Then God sent me to work with street children in Brazil. That's what street children think, and that's what gets them hooked to drugs and living on the sidewalk because they just want to do whatever they want all the time. And they wouldn't stay in a beautiful house with a swimming pool and a soccer field because we wouldn't let them use drugs or go to bed whenever they want or not go to school. And they said, I want to be free. All right, jump the wall, go back to your freedom, which actually is bondage. You see, freedom comes from obedience. That's why Peter says, live as people who are free, not to sin so that you lose your freedom, but so that you can obey God's law and do his will as his servant. We are like those bond slaves in Leviticus. Do you remember the bond slaves in Leviticus? They had to pay a debt, and so they had to serve for seven years or a certain number of years. And then the Bible says at the end of that time, if they wanted to stay with their master, they would actually get an earring, right? The master would put an earring in their ear to show that that man had chosen, or that woman, had chosen to stay as a servant in the household because they loved their master. A servant by choice. That's what you are. That's what I am. And praise God, we are sons and daughters as well. But we have chosen not to do our will, but to do God's will because we are free, because we obey. Paul says it like this. The new covenant is not, the, not to the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We obey the law even in our hearts because we do it out of love for our master. There's freedom in obedience, freedom to follow the suffering servant by obeying and serving others. And Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. And that's what he calls us to do. 
few weeks ago, I took my neighbor, a retired flyboy like my dad, to Top Gun Maverick. <clears throat> we went to see the airplanes. <clears throat> Not to see, uh, what's the guy's name? <laughs> what's, what's his name? At the end of the movie, we're sitting there, and my neighbor has tears in his eyes, and he looks at me and he says, wow, that must make you so proud to be an American. And I was actually having exactly the opposite feeling. It made me embarrassed that America is known for this individualistic rebel spirit, maverick spirit, and a guy that obey, disobeys rules all through the movie and is thought of as the cool guy. I said, it's totally unrealistic. I'm embarrassed. Because America is known as this rebellious, individualistic place where you can seek your own happiness no matter what. And that's your right. If you don't get it, you should yell. I'm embarrassed. But I tell you what we did see in that movie. Some machines, some flying machines that had been... And by the way, the movie's really cool because they use real planes. It's not CGI. They use the real fighter jets that have been designed by engineers who make them obey the laws of thermodynamics and aerodynamics to the point where they can do anything. Totally free because they're totally obedient. They submit to the laws of aerodynamics and to the pilot to the nth degree. That's how I want to be. That's what Peter's saying. Submit out of reverence for Christ and you will be free. Not to do whatever you want, not to do what your passions say, but to do what God wants you to do under the authority that he has placed over you, not even because they deserve it, but because you want to shine with the faith in the sovereignty of God to remove that authority whenever he chooses to do so. Verse 17 ends by giving us four straightforward commands. I think they start with ground level. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. We should meet even a total stranger with the thought, this is a creature in the image of the living God. God created this amazing human being before me. And just be in awe at receiving them into your presence and honor them as a bearer of the image. But then as we find out that they're truly a brother, a sister, we love them as we love Christ. Even when they don't deserve it, we love the household of faith in the new commandment. Not the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God. It's not the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a new commandment that Jesus has given us. Love one another as I have loved you. Why is it new? It has a new object, one another, the brotherhood. It has a new model, as I have loved you. Not as you love yourself, but as Jesus loved you, laying down his life for you. And it has a new purpose, that all men may know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Extraordinary love should mark us as different from the world. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Fear God. 
For the sake of Christ, submit to every governor, every authority. Because God is sovereign over the affairs of men and women. Because the Bible is my rule. Now in this we see the limits of submission. Peter was the one who said, with John, you judge Pharisees whether it's right for us to obey man or obey God. He didn't obey them, did he, when they told him to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. He didn't obey the Roman emperor when he said, declare the emperor as the only Lord and you will live. He died because he didn't submit at the point where the emperor commanded him to disobey God. He he obeyed the emperor out of fear for God and until obeying him was no longer obeying God. And he had to say, you have to judge. I'm going to obey God and not obey man. There's a point at which you say, our ways have now parted because I fear the Lord. I obey his word no matter what it costs. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, no, that you may kill us, but we will not bow down to your image. There's a place for battered women to leave their husbands, for the sake of their husbands even, not to submit anymore. There's a place for employees to organize. Research shows that where the gospel has touched the world, organized lawful protest has just grown. The unjust rulers have been called out by the truth, by the light of the gospel. This is not doormat theology. This is not uh, lie down, roll over, and be quiet. This is honoring but fearing God and defending the defenseless. And so then after all of that, when you honor everyone the same, you love the brotherhood in a special way, you fear God, and you honor the emperor because God establishes every authority on earth. What does this mean? Let's move toward interpretation. What if I truly took up my cross and followed Jesus down to the lowest place? What if I saw others as more important than myself and set out to serve and not to be served following Jesus? Because we fear God. Ephesians 5.21 says we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, you are my authority. I was saying earlier today, I think I obey my nine-year-old almost more than she obeys me. Because as a dad, I'm the one that gets her up in the morning, helps her find her shoes, gets her to do her homework, takes her to school, picks her up from school, makes her bed at night, prays over her, and my wife does even more. So in a sense, we are serving in the stead of Christ as authorities to teach her to eventually serve as well. We submit to one another, even out of reverence for Christ, because he gives us all authority. Because we fear God, we honor everyone, including wicked emperors and presidents and policemen and all people. But the brotherhood, our holy nation, is marked by sacrificial Christ-like love, beyond honor and beyond submission. By the way, in your decision of who to vote for, remember the purpose of authority. God gives authority to punish evil and to praise good. Vote for someone who does that. That's a good way to decide who a Christian, whom a Christian should vote for. So there are commands to be obeyed. Let's look at those quickly. 
You have that slide there, Joshua. For the Lord's sake, Peter says, be subject to every human institution, governments, parents, husbands, teachers, no matter how unjust. Live as people who are free to serve God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king or the emperor. Here's three ways for you and me to be doers of the word and not hearers only. First of all, submission is Christ's mission. The spirit of Christ goes against the spirit of the world, which is the spirit of Lucifer who rebelled against the sovereignty of God and raised himself up to be God. And each one of us are born in that broad road to destruction. And so to turn around and walk against the flow is to say, I will lower my head, I will close my mouth, just like Jesus did, and believe one eye on the throne that God has all authority and that he extends it to people that I don't like for his purpose to be accomplished. And so our declaration of faith is to submit in his name, in his stead. Submit to God, first of all. Submit to the government. Children, submit to your parents. Workers, submit to your bosses. Students, submit to your teachers. Wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, lay down your lives for the sake of your wives, just as Christ loved us. And all of us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how faithful submission can heal anxiety and depression. He committed his way, the, the Bible says, to the one who judges fairly. All things work together for the good of those who are called and who love God. Relax. Re, re, uh, submit. Surrender. Surrender. Surrender your control. Let God be God. He's working out everything according to his good purpose. Submit to him and to those who he's put over you. Second thing we can do, if you have authority, and I can say that all of you do, I tell Jessie she has authority over her bed, her toys, her room, her time. She has authority that God's given her to use for his purpose. If you have been in the authority you have been given, use it to punish evil and praise good. Use it for sanctifying work all around you. Eli, the priest before Samuel, was put to death because he did not restrain his sons. Let's not be guilty of that. And third, fear God. Honor everyone, including the powerful, including those who you, whom you don't like. Love one another. This is the culture of the holy nation. Festo Cavingeri, as we close, was an African who's written a book called Revolutionary Love about an exceptionally violent time in the continent of Africa. One of the stories he tells is about the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya, which was aimed at turning the whole Kikuyu tribe into freedom fighters against the British occupiers using brutal guerrilla warfare. The Mau Mau leaders required all members of the tribe to take an oath to murder the British. Christians, however, 
agreed that Kenya needed to be free, but they refused to kill in order to make that happen. So the other members of the tribe banded together to exterminate these Christian members of their own tribe. The British occupiers found out about that and offered the Christian weapons, thinking, well, we'll make them fight against each other. And the Christians refused, saying, we love you, we love them. How could we tell them about Jesus with a gun in our hands? A few years later, one of the Mau Mau fighters who had come to Christ gave this testimony. He said, I was one who led a group of fighters to attack a Christian family at night. We were ordered to do it because they were hardcore resistors. But to my surprise, the man loved us. He said that he was not at all afraid to die, for he would immediately be with Jesus. Then he pleaded with us, not for his own life, but for ours, that we would awake and repent while there was still time. We killed him. And he died praying, Father, please forgive them and give them time to turn about. We went back to the forest, but the face of that man and his love never left me. At last his Jesus found me, and now I want to tell everyone about him. I hope that's what people think when they see your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, it seems the air we breathe calls us to rebel for our own rights. We want to follow you, suffering servant, not your enemy that raises his ugly head over and over and over and says, I am God. I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice online or here present who has not surrendered to your sovereign grace opened the door and said, come in and reign, that they would do that now. No longer saying, I am, but saying, he is my Savior. And I pray for all of us that we would declare your sovereignty and our faith in it by our submissive attitudes, by our quiet, peaceful, joyful, loving, submissive spirit. Bless us with this spirit, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit that lives among us, so that the world will know that we follow you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.